0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to ACB webinars. First of all, thank you to our participants. Also, we would like to thank you, our allies, same EGADE, GAN, Generationist, Global Corporate Venturing, Innova360, IBCA, LAPCA, BC Academy. Today, we have two great panelists. First, let me introduce you to Herbert Tenhave. Herbert, he's the CEO of ESEER which designs, builds, installs, and maintains in the world's best vision software product for automated picking and placing in challenging logistic environments. He believes in team goal settings, creating enthusiasm, and expressing a can-do attitude to achieve results. The application of the latest technologies and especially deep learning is of the great interest to him. Thank you, Herbert, for being today with us. Our second guest speaker is Maur Friedman. Maur, he's a principal at F2 Venture Capital, an Israeli VC fund, managing all aspect of the fund deal flow, focusing on technology, deal sourcing, and due diligence. Prior to F2, Maur worked for over five years as a software engineer at Intel and Amazon Web Services. He holds a BS in electrical engineer from Tel Aviv University, with a major in computer science and digital signal processing thank you so much mar for being today with us so let's start first of all obviously this computer vision it's a great topic what are those problems in the supply chain that only computer vision can solve
1: so i don't think that uh, there are problems that only computer vision can solve it can computer vision can augment you know human beings so I don't see you know, a fully reliable uh, AI uh, a, a model that takes uh, decisions only by itself. You'd always need to have some kind of automation uh, that, that takes care of uh, uh, the accuracy of the model. And uh, you need to have a human in the loop that is being augmented to use this kind. Um, it could be around um, uh, um, uh, the... The, the manufacturing level, it could be around you know um, uh, uh, payments, it could be around everywhere. Um, but uh, the outcome would be an augmentation of a human in the loop that would need to take uh, action on top of these algorithms.
2: And again, within our domain, we see uh, AGVs, and AMRs uh, using computer vision to avoid obstacles or to uh, orientate themselves where they need to go. Um, and within our domain, it's all about um, dealing with variation of the, of the items and the parcels. So they vary in shape, size, color, material, surface and how it's stacked and or any combination. So, so we actually we deal with chaos how to deal with the unknown and how to make sense of it.
3: Great, so uh, perhaps you have talked a little bit about it, but what are those um, deep tech applications, uh, perhaps totally related with computer vision or others that perhaps are not totally or directly related, but that need still um, a a refinement uh, to, to be fully functional in the supply chain?
1: Um I think that it's not just to be a, a you know, a, it's not just a refinement in order to be a fully functional, it's a, it's about even biases in the data. So you'd always need to go and check your models in order to uh, a, a gain a relevant insights. For example, the, let's talk about, you know, cameras, uh, surveillance applications. So there could be biases in the data that uh, the, the model has been trained on and um, that would affect the result. would affect in, in ways that, I don't know, we have, for example, I haven't taken into account when I trained the model to, pre- to predict uh, uh, that, uh, or to extract that uh, this, let's say a specific cat has uh, a blue eyes. So for me, it would be more resembled to, I don't know, to another kind of cat, but I could take an action the model could take an action on top of this uh, you know uh, uh, misclassification so I don't think that uh, it's uh, um, just a refinement it's more about how you execute the model if you have uh, a um, a defined set of outcomes and and, uh, so and and also defined set of inputs so yes so the model could be uh, fully functional But uh, usually, uh, models uh, are being uh, incorporated when there isn't a defined set of outcome and defined set of uh, um, inputs. Because uh, otherwise, uh, it could be written with uh, regular uh, uh, software. So it's it's in every application. Let me uh, add an example within
2: our domain. (coughs) So the essence, what we do, we do I hand coordination so the camera sees something and the robot with an end effector gripper has to grasp something and mostly we apply suction so the essence is to um, configure our software with so the neural network with the limitations of the gripper size so of the suction cups multiple suction cup or how can they move etc so how big is the antifarm so knowing all the limitation makes me uh, then I can um, predict what is the best possible grasp pose, knowing the limitations of the gripper and the possibilities of the gripper. So, um, so it's it's where our magic, computer vision, comes into reality when the robot moves and, and starts to grasp uh, things. So, it's uh, if you talk about what can we still improve, it's the correlation between two, uh, one plus one is three of smart grippers and our software, knowing. It's a box, knowing it's etc. So the more we can uh, we can uh, tell the robot what we see, the more value we can add. The better uh, predictable we can safely grasp it, and so that's one area. And then the other area where we are working right now, and actually already it's in, uh, it's working, it's in um, um, working nicely. It's in uh, playing Tetris, stacking. So we all always talk about uh, picking. But we also do placement. So we look at, uh, we pick something out of, and we we can look at the dimensions. We can see uh, how it's attached to the robot, and then we look into the unknown environment. Environment and it can even be a bag. So we do grocery. We place gro- grocery in a bag next to other groceries, and then uh, we check if it's if it's still there, what we expect it to be. So that's the next sort of product within the scope of uh, computer vision.
3: Great now that's super interesting in and- for example, there are many companies that perhaps grocery companies or other kind of companies that would like to implement a computer vision or a deep tech technology. But um, I know that there are many other processes that might be implemented before. And also, what is the infrastructure in those processes that they uh, have to implement before they are thinking, you know, I, I would need a robot with computer vision or I would need this that contains, I don't know, deep tech. So what are those changes? changes that have to to be made um, inside the organizations uh, for implementing deep tech with computer vision or uh, just deep tech. Yeah, I don't know if (laughs) we can start with you.
1: Okay, cool. So I think that uh, in order for uh, an organization to do a transformation and use the machine learning models in production, first it needs to have the processes and uh, and the softwares that uh, is relevant in order to deploy everything at scale. Otherwise, um, um, it won't work, it just won't work. Um, And so there are tons of uh, relevant uh, software uh, that they could use today, that uh, an an organization could use today. Um, And it's around uh, what I call the machine learning operations or MLOps. And so an organization that uh, deploys machine learning in production, first and foremost would need to have Um, uh, uh, um, uh, training capabilities because eventually uh, an organization would train all the models and all the uh, 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 neural networks uh, on top of uh, uh, the training data. And then uh, an organization would need uh, um, uh, deployment and pipelines in order to uh, uh, deploy uh, uh, the models in production at scale. So I don't see a way today um, that uh, an organization can take uh, um, an, a model as a service. It would need to do a lot of uh, tweaks in order to uh, get uh, to the desired results. And uh, most of them would be around MLOps in, in order to make it uh, work in, uh, with uh, high utilization. But and there are multiple companies out there, for example, one of our portfolio companies uh, is called Explorium and it operates in, in, in this area. The other one is called DataLoop. And uh, you need also to make sure that the model um, um, performs uh, uh, um, accurately in uh, uh, production. So you need a monitoring system that uh, would uh, check its uh, relevancy. Um, so we have another portfolio company in that area. But yeah, you have multiple companies in each one of the uh, um, Of the verticals of uh, machine learning operations, because uh, um, it's a different way of how to deploy and build software. So you need you you need the the systems in order to make it uh, effective.
2: Uh, Let me add on this, and I like to limit it to the field that I have knowledge on. So uh, so Mara is probably more wide uh, uh, trained in this sense. Uh, So we uh, whenever a client approaches us and has interest in automating parts of their uh, picking uh, process. Uh, then we apply, uh, we strongly want to use the Lean Startup method. So we we first answer the question, the biggest assumption, which is, can computer vision see what it needs to see? That's the first step. So we need to get some uh, data uh, looking into the Pallet we need to pick from or looking into the tote we need to pick from etc so understanding their situation and all the vari- variation uh, then we can run it in our network and then we can already pr- prove that our system is just out of the box already capable of doing almost everything and so that's the first check the second thing is to understand if the if the the end effect the gripper can grasp the item right because you're grasping this is different than this and and then this, and then this, and uh, et cetera. So, uh, so uh, understanding then, and then the, the end is the integration. So it's knowing it's not computer vision, but half, how fast can we uh, accelerate and decelerate without throwing it away? And, and can we move safely without collisions and all that stuff? So that's also computer vision. So it's, it's a step-by-step approach, where as we provide answers uh, so they can take the best decisions forward.
0: Right, no, that's, that's interesting. And, and, and obviously, you know, you've been commenting about the data that will require the, the, the type of model that you need to build in order to have a viable computer vision uh, system. And, and obviously, you Mauro, you also did talk about cats and the, you know, and the blue eyes. And, and those are the biases in terms of the item recognition. Going deeper into that, how should the development and training process be changed in order to reduce this type of problem?
1: So there are multiple uh, uh, cutting edge uh, applications or methods today. for example one of them is called <laughs> contrastive learning. So it's a way that you you augment the data with more examples to make the models more robust but uh, and then I think that it's you know it's something that has been, explored and researched in the cutting edge researcher, researchers out there. So um, I think that in, in perspective of ethical question um, um, it's a very pre- prevalent question um, a discussion you know among the AI researchers in the world how to make sure that you don't have any ethical bias inside your model. So I don't think you know that there is a clear-cut answer to that, but there are different uh, um, um, methods of how you can make the model more robust and and, uh, and what to do when uh, you you face uh, such a, a, an example.
2: Um, we did our learnings as well. Everybody knows the uh, famous uh, story about. Uh, uh, classifying the uh, Russian trucks and the, and the snow with the training set. Uh, so we had something similar when, uh, before we really moved into logistics, we did also quality control and we did quality control of books, books, returned books, if they were not damaged. And it was a very, so we trained it with a lot of uh, data and the client wanted us to train on the one day on these books and the second day on the other books were turned out it was a little bit different weather, like in the Netherlands, it changes every day. And so at the end, the algorithm was perfect in in knowing what was the weather conditions. Uh, so it was selecting based on the weather conditions, because at one day we said these are the wrong books, and the other day we, these are the correct books. And so the neural network became good at lo- looking at the, at the lightning conditions and instead of looking at the books itself. So, uh, so you always have to... Uh, Make sure uh, you um, you 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 have control over what it needs to learn, and, and that it really that the neural network is trained on the aspect that you want it to, to be trained on, and not on uh, other other things that uh, might uh, uh, be applicable. So it's um, and it can also be the other way around. Let's say you always train on white envelopes, but suddenly you have black envelopes. So you need to have all kinds of colors, so it doesn't look at the color of an envelope. All of those things we learned over over time.
0: That, that's interesting in order to trick the system to, to, to improve it. And obviously we know that uh, developing deep tech-based solutions obviously takes a lot of time and, and both in the creation and also as, as you both pointed out in the refinement, in the improvement of those, of those uh, deep tech solutions. How do you know that at some point in time, you really have achieved product market fit, especially in a startup, in someone that is launching a product with a deep tech-based solution in computer vision or around this area?
1: I think that it's not a, t- a techie question. It's more a business question or a, in terms of, you know, what what the application does. Because eventually, uh, startups, uh, uh, you know, uh, most of the times are, uh, um, they have a tech barrier or they have a tech moat when they build their product. But in order to gain and, and to get to product market fit, you need to have a perfect alignment of the pain point that you're solving with the customer needs. So, you know, if it's based on computer vision and it satisfies the customer and the customer is happy with what you're providing and you do it in a scale of multiple customers. So yeah, probably you've got, you've gotten to product market fit. And then in the next step, um, it's about uh, scaling the machine and uh, and make sure and uh, bringing in a uh, uh, sales team and uh, scaling uh, the company. But uh, yeah, it's, it it would be usually around this in order to 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 make sure that you need to get you, you need to make sure that you have you've satisfied your customer uh, needs. I think that's, uh, that's uh, the, the the logical answer. And It's not related to, uh, to uh, specifically, in my opinion, um, to deep tech uh, uh, or computer vision. And in terms of computer vision, if it's incorporated inside the product, so if it answers uh, the customer needs, so yeah, you, you've gotten to, to a product market fit. It could be with 90% accuracy. It could be also in specific applications with 50% accuracy, but uh, it's all about the, the customer.
2: I agree, Um, and in addition, we learned it the hard way uh, Mm -hmm. because we didn't have any funding. So we were just a a startup from university and they said, make profit. (laughs) And so um, then the only way is to ask money, go to clients and ask money, even for pilots. So which means actually you're validating the the value you're bringing. If, If it's true value, they will pay for you and they will also tell you exactly what they need so that's how we grew our company. So we grew Bootstrap over the years. Now we were 26, 27. And um, by just asking money, and, and then the clients will tell, the, tell you exactly what they need. And, and again, like Mao says, uh, uh, when it's used in, in, in the system as a product, and they scale it. Uh, so yeah, the, then you know you're successful.
3: And you know, the, um, what I can take from that is not about the technology, but it's all totally about the uh, the customer and how the customer is uh, perceiving the solution is really helping uh, in the use case that they are looking for. So in, in the same, and perhaps in the same question, um, what are the, the, the main, um, uh, the the main key elements. I mean, you, you mentioned that in you were always boot, bootstrapped, uh, but have you ever considered uh, to to raise capital? Or when do you think is the right moment to to raise capital? Or perhaps these kind of uh, projects, because of the all the development and research, uh, don't, do not precisely need um, a, a capital, but uh, they can they can bootstrap. So what are those? Uh, the ways that we can take in order to uh, finance these, these projects that can become a company.
2: You want me to answer it?
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, of course, uh, you need to have a product market fit, and, uh, and as, as clients uh, um, standardize on your product and build it into their product, that gives you a good feeling, and, and then you're really in partnership. So you want customer traction. Uh, you need to have the, the finance there. Ideally, you do it without investors or with limited investors because obtaining money costs a lot of time and effort. So an attention of, of the management. And um, so we did one round, a very limited round, but local, uh, local investors. Uh, and that feels comfortable for the moment. Uh, but at the end, uh, even with or without uh, an investor on board, you need to have predictable, scalable processes. So everything need to, so you can put in uh, 100,000 euros and it should multiply at some point. So, um, and, and all the other aspects of your company are very important in our case, security. So we, we did a uh, pen test, penetration trust, etc. because we know there are a lot of people around the world looking at us and uh, trying to copy what we do. So um, there are a lot of other elements like legal, uh, which is as, lo- as much as important as your key product is the, it's the overall product, it's the organization, it's, it's it's uh, security, it's it's a lot of dimensions that matter in the in this in having the scale up and making sure it has a fundament and which makes you attractive to your clients.
3: Great, I don't know if you have any, any other um, comment about when to start raising, especially because in F2 capital, you see a lot of companies based on deep tech. Um, so when when do you recommend to them to start raising capital or whether those things that you see that are super relevant uh, for, for raising capital?
1: Cool. So it depends. So at F2, we invest only in Israel founders in the Israeli ecosystem. So in this kind of ecosystem, um, we usually recommend them to, basically, we, we usually partner with uh, uh, these founders as, as fast as possible. So in, in the early days, and that's how we, we built the infrastructure and foundations of uh, this of F2. But, uh, you, you know, for uh, lay down uh, startups or uh, for American startups, it's also, uh, um, as I said, it depends. It depends, you know, on, on, on the status of uh, of uh, the company, and uh, and what I usually recommend to early entrepreneurs is uh, that uh, in the early days of the startup, when you don't have a, a direct uh, um, um, roadmap and you're not sure, you know, who are the customers, what's the value proposition you have a gen- generic idea that uh, you want to pursue even, and also to build an impressive and uh, deep technology. So don't you don't need in this kind of uh, uh, um, questions to, to start negotiate with investors on the valuation of the company. So the best thing for you is to take an uncapped safe and start running with a few hundred K just to build a, and uh, and validated uh, the questions and uh, the thesis that the underlying thesis. But if you already know and you have a direction and uh, you have already designed partners and uh, there are a lot of risks that you already have taken out of the table, so yeah, you should uh, erase and uh, go after a proper seed round. And uh, that's what we usually do here at F2. But as I said, it depends on the geolocation. It depends on uh, uh, on the uh, the, on the kind of startup, and it depends on uh, and the kind of entrepreneurs.
3: Great. Right. And about, for example, you, you mentioned a couple of things uh, that you look for in an entrepreneur or in a, in a project to be founded or uh, to be funded. Sorry, by F two Capital. But what are those other things that you consider relevant about I don't know the team or about the technology or the market? That you take in consideration to say, oh, this is a great um, startup or is going to be a great startup that I can I can bet on them.
1: Cool. So investing in the early days of a startup is uh, is fifty um, percent science and fifty percent uh, um, I would call uh, not luck, but I would call uh, based uh, a lot of based on intuition, and um, and there's a thin line that uh, which. Is around uh, around this so um in terms of team you would uh, you i would uh, want to see a a, a team that uh, completes and uh, complements uh, each other and uh, which basically means that uh, you have a, a strong cto together with a ceo and uh, now it depends if it's a b2b or b2c uh, the business model if it's b2c i would also want to see someone who's uh, specialized in uh, marketing and ppc because it's uh, relevant exactly like uh, the CTO uh, uh, position. Um, in terms of uh, the product, it depends on you know, what, what kind of product that this company is going to build. If it's a, a very deep tech uh, product, probably they won't be able to, to build it uh, before they raise money. So um, uh, I would want to see a mock-up or something you know that I would be able to, to have an intelligent conversation uh, with the company. On, on what we're going to do with this kind of technology. What's the breakthrough? How is it uh, 10x better than uh, the competition out there? Um, uh, what are the t- technological modes? And uh, in terms of the market, I would want to see that there's a real pain point that uh, this company is going after. And, uh, but the most important thing, that the market is large. and uh, Because as I usually say, um, um, the best teams in the worst market won't succeed, and the mediocre teams in the, you know, in a very good market probably would build a, a billion-dollar business. So um, that's, you know, that's my two cents.
2: Maybe to add something which is from the other side of the table, because we need to also select investors and to, to, to search for them. So you really need to understand what's your position and what will be the challenge in the next two to three years. And then find a partner—not only the money, but find a partner that can help you with all those questions. So it's in our case it was scaling, etc. So it's taking you, helping you, being next to you. Uh, we still have to do the work, but they will help you, guide you, and uh, coach you uh, to take all those uh, steps.
1: I would like to add some more, one more thing. We're in an unprecedented era where there's tons of money in the market. So the most important thing is to choose a partner uh, for a startup, a partner, because it's like uh, uh, choosing uh, your co-founder in a way. So you want someone that you would would really bring added value to the table and would help scale the company. And uh, it's uh, relevant in every stage of the company uh, lifetime. At the seed, seed stage, you would look for someone uh, that could help you uh, validate your thesis and help you gain in product market fit. Uh, usually during the A round, uh, you would want someone that would help you to scale the team and build a sales organization. During the B round, you would want uh, a, a growth uh, uh, capabilities and et cetera, et cetera. But the most important thing is the, 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 that you're going to add as, as, as the entrepreneurs, you would need someone that uh, would, you would be able to look at him and, and say, yeah, I want to partner with him, not just because of the money, mostly not because of the money.
0: Yeah, no, completely agree. At the end of the day, especially if you're building a startup, it's all about the people. And obviously the technology, it's very, very relevant. It's very important. The people, it's key, it's kids, fundamental. So going, uh, we have a question here. What are the main considerations to take into account when choosing between an on-edge image processing architecture versus an on-cloud architecture, what are your thoughts, guys?
1: So it, it depends. It's it's like everything uh, that I said before. So it, it's usually in my in my opinion, it's around you know performance, cost, and scale. So. If it, if the application it should be a, a very high performance computing application, so it, probably you would want that it would run on the edge near to the customer. If it's a, a, but you you'd also need a connectivity to the cloud because it, it it depends really depends on the scale of the application. It also depends on terms of cost. If it's easy to deploy it in a, a, you know a, 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 in the edge. Uh, or uh, or otherwise you'd need to deploy it in the cloud so and the most important thing is the scale because eventually you want that uh, the, uh, your application would be deployed at scale and across uh, multiple uh, um, you know multiple uh, um, uh, sites and, uh, and and it's it's it it depends on the application
2: Maybe again to add to this. Uh, um, so in our case, it's a camera taking an image, giving the image towards the the computer. We run it on a GPU, and then uh, the software provides with all the information relevant for the robot to move. So you don't want any latency. So it should be fast. Otherwise, the robot is waiting, <laughs> etc. So mostly it's on the edge, so on on premises, um, and so it's a, so we don't need internet connection at all. Having said that uh, when there's multiple installations at the client and the and the GPU only needs a very a fragment of a second to produce it so you can run multiple processes multiple robots on one computer so you can have it shared on one system in the server rack uh, re- re- remotely from the from the factory where it's used and then run multiple uh, robots on one uh, with one computer vision software package yeah
0: Okay, Gori, thank you. And, and for instance, taking as an example the Latin market, Latin America, could you give us some examples of success cases of autonomous mobile mobile robots deployment in fulfillment centers somewhere in the world? Um, there are startups in Israel that
1: uh, try to. Uh, Tackle this exact pain point. And um, we're all, are in, you know, we haven't gotten to uh, GA to general availability. But um, there are multiple startups uh, out there that uh, are exactly after this kind of pain point. Uh, they, I don't have a company, you know, out of the blue that uh, I'm just thinking about it. Um, but uh, yeah. Okay.
2: I like to approach it in a, a more abstract way. Um, if you have an, a warehouse, you have goods in coming out of a truck, mostly on the pellet, sometimes loose load. So it needs to be depelletized. So that's a, that's one application where it's often done. Then it's stored into a warehouse and it's in, in, in mostly an in automated storage and retrieval system, ASRS. Can be a shuttle, can be pellets, can be uh, totes, etc. cetera. So uh, depending on how to use it, they might use AGVs and AMRs, but they might also use, like I said, shuttles and other systems. And uh, just totes uh, and, and so on. So goods are received, goods are stored into uh, bins, etc., in a warehouse, and then when it needs uh, to be uh, brought to a client, the tote is being offered towards the human, mostly, or to a robot. So it goods to men, goods to robot system. The item is being picked. Uh, maybe some other items are are there. It's being put into a box or or a bag, so it becomes a, a parcel. Um, uh, So, um, and then it's being sorted towards the destination and it's being stacked again and then being taken away with a truck. Those, that that is the the, the process. Where, um, so uh, AMRs and AGVs is just for moving. That's it. Just only the moving uh, part. So that can, it's just a way of moving. Um, The nice thing about AGVs and AMRs is that you can, uh go to a, a facility like a, a big hole and you can just start so you don't need an know a big other infrastructure so it's a relatively cheap and flexible scalable uh, system uh, but maybe a conveyor when you have a high throughput makes more sense to use conveyors uh, for certain things or a shuttle system so then there is the height So in Europe, uh, we don't have a lot of space. So we we like micro-fulfillment centers. It's often close to cities or in cities. So the auto-store system and other systems are very popular. So it's it's high dense uh, storage because of the the available space. Uh, So all of those things matter. And at the end, uh, automating um, with robots is... Uh, compared to humans. So uh, in Europe and I think in America, labor is a labor shortage and we believe it will only get worse very quickly because of the number of parcels and the e-commerce and just take the returns, how many returns there are. So um, uh, that's often the reason um, uh, the business case for for, uh, uh, end users to have robots uh, supporting their work because they cannot get the workforce anymore in the near future.
3: Yeah, and perhaps my next question is a, a little bit related with a couple of the answers that you're giving. But uh, actually, what would have to, to do in order to, uh, for example, have more cobots bots than, than just robots or than just technology that is uh, substituting people? Or, uh, so, so yeah, perhaps, I don't know if, if you can uh, go deep on, on that. What are, are those things that maybe we, we have to do, like in the, in the manufacturing lines, or perhaps in the warehouses, uh, is it enough with the infrastructure that we have right now? Or do we have to make uh, any other improvements or changes?
2: Um, okay, I can answer that. Uh, first of all, Cobalt is just a, uh, a collaborative robot where a human can work next to. And I don't often see them in uh, in factories because uh, if you can automate it, you want to automate it fast and predictable and then use an industrial robot and, and put a cage around it. And if you have to intervene, you want to stop it. So uh, a cobot uh, in in our field doesn't uh, is not so much applied. Um, and then the the other type of robot, it doesn't matter. It can be like the six-axis articulated robot. It can be a, a Delta robot, like with the three angles. It can be a Cartesian robot moving up XYZ, etc. So it doesn't matter. So it's all about moving from A to B. And um, so um, and, and so the, the, the more they can control, uh, let's say if you put it in boxes or you put it on a pallet? It's, you can control it in that unit and then you can automate it. But if you s- still use the old warehouse where stacking, yeah, that's really hard to automate. So um, if you can um, make containers and, and standardize on containers and bring the containers to the humans or bring the containers to the robot, then it's, uh, it's a nice way of doing. Uh, but it depends on your business. If you're a production firm, then it's relatively easy because you control everything. But if you... Um, uh, partial handler, uh, it's becoming a bit harder, but uh, imagine you are a third party logistics provider having a contract for three years and then there is a new client with new products. It's, it's even harder to invest because you don't know what's gonna be the business case in three years' time.
3: Great, uh, perhaps here the, the answer is the standardization or try to um, bring those cobots in, in those processes that have a kind of standard, right? Great. So, and um, uh, this is perhaps a question for more for Herbert. So, what are the the um, the biggest challenges and the biggest satisfactions? Um, creating a, a deep tech startup based here in computer vision.
2: Um, in our case, uh, apart from the money and the validation we talked about, it was uh, <laughs> we chose to work with partners. So we work with robotic integrators. They put the hardware together and they sell it. So we are dependent on them. They are mm-hmm. using our software. So, um, uh, so, uh, they might not have all the knowledge. So we have to really work with them for, let's say a half year or longer to help them build the product and to help them sell the product. So that's something that, uh, that can take a long time. And, uh, if sometimes, uh, they are focused on greenfield only on their own ASRS system, like where, uh, so, uh, so they only use you for the new field, so it will take a while, and if it's brownfield, so they're going after the existing market, it might scale up much faster, so uh, th- it's being dependent on them on the speed on the knowledge, experience, etc. Um, and then, um, it, so and the good thing is, is when we, you win. Uh, from your competitors, so that's really the validation of your client. So uh, when they look around all of your uh, the players in the world, and they validate you, they they really um, look inside your company, inside uh, the solution you built, the team, the strategy, and they choose you for the, for all of those reasons. That's really nice. Then uh, that's the lucky moment. No,
3: <laughs> yeah, great. And, and perhaps uh, the last question to, to finish uh, this conversation uh, what are what is uh, the, the future for this technology what is next for uh, computer vision applied to uh, logistics or to any other industry so i don't know Mauer or herbert
1: <laughs> I'll go ahead um, so, <laughs> so the future um i think that uh, it's to unleash and uh, you know, the bottlenecks or basically open the bottlenecks that exist in terms of data. So as I said, we're in, uh, uh, we got to a point where we're shifting from uh, a model centric to uh, data centric approaches. And uh, in this kind of uh, approach, you need to make sure that your data is always fresh, is alive, uh, is predictable, and you can uh, uh, get, you know, to the desired results that your models are rely on. So because eventually a model uh, um, is, it, it, it takes predictions uh, uh, for uh, the future, it uh, draws insights and extracts insights in the present. And uh, based on the, the past, uh, it does uh, both. So and everything, as I said before, and uh, emphasizing along uh, this uh, webinar is related to the data. So we'd see more data And we'd see more uh, 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 um, uh, um, uh, reliable data, and eventually uh, we'd see more uh, uh, computer vision and uh, models uh, in production across any enterprise, any uh, uh, organization out there. Hey, Herbert, what are your final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, again,
2: within, within our scope and our field is uh, so. In the last uh, four or five years, there has been many startups uh, like us, and uh, and we j- just focus on computer vision. That uh, most of them, of all of them, almost all of them, they focus on the complete solution. They so sort they of built a robot, the complete cell. And I believe uh, the uh, so it gets mature now the solution. So uh, there is more and more in production, but also the end users. Uh, the DHL, Federal Express, UPS, uh, Amazon's of this world get smarter and smarter, and they want to be in control. So they just want a toolbox. They want a software. They want hardware. They want they want to be in control. So um, I see at some point uh, they just want to um, uh, uh, be able to shop around to say, okay, I want to have this software. I want to have this hardware, etc. I put it together. It should work. And so they don't want they this they want it to be uh, arranged. So I believe that in the next one to two years, there will be it will be easier for them to work directly with us because they can just take the tools, put it together and maybe have an integrator supporting it and uh, doing some seven times 24 hours support. But um, it should be a product that c- they can easily uh, install, manage, update, support and, and migrate or whatever they want. And so it's, uh, it's like uh, having a an hammer and, and springs and all the simple things, Yeah, it looks simple, but it, it has, I think, uh, computer vision as such uh, has, has become a grown up and also the tools around it, you can organize properly, so it makes it easier for end user to say okay let's build uh, a picking machine. Like I think uh, 20 years ago, uh, the internet was, uh, was, uh, was very... Uh, so you had specialists doing the internet for you, uh, telling you all the stuff Or uh, 30 years ago. So now it's everybody can do this. And the, the same will, will happen for applying robots in logistics. It will be a toolbox. There will be a few vendors doing some stuff and it should just fit and should be a no brainer just to, to put it together.
3: Great, now that was awesome. Thank you so much both for being uh, with us today. Uh, thank you, Mark, Friedman, principal, F2 Ventures Capital and Herbert Hib, uh, Temhib, uh, CEO at Pesero, the number one automated pick and place software for items and uh, parcels. Thank you both for all the insights. And thank you all our um, allies and our attendees. Our allies, Asem, Egade, GAN, Generationes, Global Corporate Venturing, Innova360, IPCA, LABCA, NBC Academy. Uh, our next webinar will be in. September 2022 20, uh, so thank you so much uh, everyone and have a great rest of your day
1: bye bye bye